I think that it's about people, perseverance, discipline. You know, always being positive, always being thankful to be able to even do what we have done. She's life. Maybe all in. Give it your full heart. It's just the hero's journey. This is how to fairy tale. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the How to Fairy Tale podcast. I'm here today, of course, with my co-host, my wife, Miranda, and an amazing guest, Timmy Bauer. Uh, he is a children's book author. Best-selling yep. children's book Best-selling author. children's book author. He owns his own company. Um, and it's just we're just really stoked uh, to have him here today. Um, now, Timmy, one thing that I got to tell everyone as we start is that you and I actually had a chance to be roommates together at the Wolf Den. Yeah. <laughs> and it was uh, it was just such a fun time, and we we got to talk on our last couple of shows about how many of us got to go off and do cr- uh, cool things. But I remember one story about you particularly. I think you were one of the first that really sort of hit something of your dreams that you wanted to do, which was when you got your first children's book done, and then it came back. And I remember we all bought it, and we're like looking at it like, oh my gosh, our roommate wrote a children's book. So tell us what it was like to hold that very first like I want to be a children's book illustrator for however long, and then you get it. And you're like holding the book that you like, you know, you illustrated and you wrote and you created the story. Yeah. Like? I think more than anything, it was uh, just an absolute feeling of imposter syndrome. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I I thought my whole thing was like, I didn't want to go the route of uh, the traditional route that people follow when they become a kid's book author, which is you write a manuscript. Mm-hmm. Uh, people get really romantic about this. They'll, you know, put so much time into writing a manuscript and then they either try and go get an agent or they query a bunch of publishers the way you're supposed to go is you're supposed to supposed to go in quotation marks right supposed right. to get an agent then you're supposed to use that agent to query publishers uh and you hit up enough publishers you get enough rejection letters and finally someone says yes to you and they publish your book and um if, it, if what where most people's stories as a kids book author ends if they even get that far, it usually ends there. They get one book deal uh, with a publisher. The publisher sends them in advance. They do a print run of the book. And that's typically the end. Like most um, most kids' books never outsell their advance. So most kids' mm-hmm. books die after that. Um, and, and most kids' book author careers die after that, if yeah. they even get that far. Um, but then some few people uh, outsell their advance get signed to bigger publishing companies and do sequels and do spinoff books and other books and all of that sort of thing and go on to have like a full on lifelong career as a kid's book author. And I knew since I was 17 that I wanted to be a, I wanted to have a creative career uh, Mm. that had something to do with art and storytelling. I didn't know much Mm. beyond that. Like I've known that since I was a little kid. I thought maybe I would work in movies or an, like animated TV shows or something like that. I knew that I wanted it to be creative. I wanted it to have something to do with art and I wanted it to have something to do with storytelling. But when I was 17, I had a little brother named Tristan who was four at the time. He's now, um, I think he just turned 18. Wow. Um, yeah. When he was four, uh, I wrote a kid's book for him just because I was reading him a bunch of kid's books. And I was like, I think I could make one of these. I made the book, Billy the Dragon. And I made it for him as a way to try Mm -hmm. to entertain him. He was really entertained by it. And that kind of got the idea into my head of like, oh, maybe I could be a kid's book author. I think that's Mm -hmm. probably a similar story as a lot of people who choose like kid's book author as something that they want to do because they have they it's either one of their own kids or there's a kid in their life that they wrote a story Mm -hmm. for or wrote a story with. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, 
I thought um, the idea of going the agency route, agent route and publishing and querying and all that stuff sounded so intimidating. I'd read a bunch of stuff about it. Um, I wasn't sure, like, how do you even get an agent? And then if you do, then there were just so many steps that were in other sure. people's hands. And this was my first step in entrepreneurship because I was just thinking about how many steps of this process are totally in other people's hands, aside right. from just how much you how much you email agents and how much you query publishers. Those are the only two things that it seems like that and constantly refining your manuscripts. Those are the parts that the author has control over. But right. and, and that's awesome. Um, again, I'm not trying to like poo poo on that route, but it sounded to me like there was so much that was in other people's hands that out of like laziness and fear, I decided <laughs> I'm just going to pay a printing company to print. And this was while we lived together. So right. uh, fast forward, it's like I'm in my mid twenties and we're living together and I'm working at Disney and I'm showing people the manuscript and an artwork that I made for my little brother. Mm -hmm. And people are encouraging me to go and uh, just whatever it do takes it to get it for published. Real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, do it for real. Exactly. They didn't know what it meant. They were just like, you need to go and get this published. And you know, I, I, I knew that there was this route, but then there was this other route of you could just pay a printing company to print a bunch of copies of this book. I, I don't know if Amazon print on demand existed back then. Uh, mm -hmm. And if it did, I didn't know about it. Uh, but this so was a novel I, idea to you of like, I'm going to kind of yeah. sidestep yeah. the traditional publishing route and I'm going to just publish it myself. Yes. <laughs> So I hit up uh, our mutual friend, James Carberry, and this was before I was friends with him. He was just somebody that uh, we knew from church, uh, that I knew from church. I don't know how you met him, but um, I, I go to James uh, because a bunch of people are like, hey, if you're going to do anything entrepreneurial, you should talk to James. And I go and have lunch with him. And I'm like, and, and at this point, he had a podcast called Inspiring Awesome, and he had a, another company uh, that ended up not being successful. This was before he started his company that he's now like super successful with Sweetfish Media. Right. Um, and uh, and I shouldn't say not successful. It's just that it didn't it didn't end up making right. money, his, mm -hmm. his other business. But I'm going to guess um, he told you, you can do this to me on your own. You don't need someone to tell you yes or no. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> I had two ideas in my head. I was like, do I buy the machinery to manufacture books? <laughs> and Literally just, make them. And literally, like in my garage, just make print runs of these books. Mm -hmm. And that sounded really appealing to me. I like, I was like looking up and seeing like, oh, you could buy a, a book, uh, a, a book printing, um, like machine, like the big one for mm -hmm. like, um, I want to say it was like back then something like $2,000 to get one oh, of these wow. machines. And, um, and you had to buy it, you know, like there was no, the way to buy it was you, you go to the to the machine manufacturers and you get on like a sales call with one of their reps. And I was, I was in that process and they were like, wait, you're not a company. You're just a guy in his garage. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, having lunch with James, James was like, bro, you don't want to, you don't want to be, um, you know, just in the, in your garage printing press, just turning these things out. I wonder what, my life would look like today if that was the route that I went. Um, there's a, a part of me that kind of wishes that I would have done that. Um, Only, anyways, this is important for everyone. Timmy was was homeschooled, uh, as my wife and I were, and I feel like 
it takes a homeschooler to come yeah, up with. I can print it myself. I'll just print it myself. Let <laughs> me just buy the equipment. Let me and just put buy it in the equipment. Garage. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know, next thing you know, he would have been planting forests to get the paper. <laughs> to the, do the paper. <laughs> to make paper. Okay. So, so James convinces yeah. you, hey, why don't you just do pay a company? Pay a company to do it. And yeah. so yeah. you go to this company without a traditional publishing label. It's just literally Timmy making a call to probably somewhere overseas and making it happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the co- so the company was called Print Ninja, and they're still around, and they're an awesome company. And I refer uh, business to them whenever someone wants to do offset printing. Um, yeah. Their their thing is simplicity. I know that there's like much less expensive way now. Now I know that there's much less expensive ways to do offset printing, um, but back then everything was so complicated, and their thing was simplicity. So mm-hmm. um, it cost uh, around five thousand dollars. That was all the money that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went all so, in. You just you spent. I remember you saying you spent your basically life savings printing that first run of your books. But then yeah. here's what's cool, uh, and I I, if it, I really want you to to zero in on this piece, Timmy. So you do this. You you go get them. You printed literally shipped over to your house at the time. This is I think you'd started moving from the Wolf Den at this point. Yeah. And then you said I'm gonna actually sell them, and you had a very specific way you did that, and you actually. Like, if I understand, turned a profit on your your books, which very few children's book authors, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, really do that. But by doing it yeah. yourself, explain a little bit of uh, just a real quick snapshot of how you actually thought about and turned a profit with your book, doing it a different model than going sticking it at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So um, one of the benefits of going the traditional publishing route is that you get a profit right away because the mm-hmm. publishing, if you get a traditional publishing deal, the publishing right. company is going to send you a check that is an advance on what they project they'll be able to do in sales. Um, right. And it's usually really modest if you're an unknown entity. So you might get a check for a few thousand dollars. And um, and then, like I said, most uh, uh, deals don't outsell their advance. So like, so like you won't make money again until the publishing company has sold out past the advance that they gave you. Anyways, that's the benefit of doing it that way. Most self-published authors who do anything like what I just described, they don't end up making any profit. Um, So uh, (laughs) especially if you order a print run, most people that order print runs of their books end up having a bunch of gifts to give out at Christmas and birthdays and a right. bunch of paperweights and uh, you know um, things that they can use to prop up uh, the the TV at home. <laughs> and a yeah. lot of boxes right. to have in the garage. Stacks of boxes in their, in their car that they're trying to hawk to their friends. <laughs> and no offense, I'm not trying to be offensive about it. Um, the reality is it's, it's very tough. Um, I didn't want to be one of the, I didn't want that. I knew that that was the risk that I was taking. Um, so my thought was, I'm not gonna rely on hope uh what i what i need to and this i got from james james was like bro you just need to you need to figure out where is the audience that is going to buy this book and then just sweat Mm -hmm. your way into getting in front of those audiences knock on literally knock on doors and and show people your book and just ask if you can speak in front of those audiences and well Mm -hmm. so those audiences are schools for the most part Mm -hmm. and um so i started knocking on elementary school doors that the whole first year of me as a kids book author, so much of it was me knocking on elementary school doors and then being turned away because like, who's this weird man that wants to come and read to our kids? (laughs) And so I would, (laughs) this was so hard. I would get turned away about half the time 
and mm -hmm. I just credit the fact that it wasn't so much worse than that to the fact that right. I look like a baby. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, you know, knocking on the store. I've got the book in my hands. I'm like, hey, um, uh, what are you here for? And I'm like, oh, I was, I, I wanted to speak to your media specialist. I'm kids book author Timmy Bauer. I'm um, mm -hmm. just curious if I could come and speak to the to the students one day and yeah. just saying it like that sounds a little bit official. It's not a lie. It is the truth. I am now kids right. look author to me. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, and and so about half the time they would they would let me talk to the media specialist. And I knew I, I learned pretty quickly if I can just get in front of the media specialist mm -hmm. with the book in my hands, they will say yes to me coming and visiting the school. Mm. I was able to talk my way into and not that I, I wasn't doing anything other than just being like, yeah, so I'm a kid's book author. This is my book. It's called Billy the Dragon. You know, this is the theme of the book here. You can flip through the illustrations. I don't charge anything for my school visits. I just do this as a way of growing an audience of readers. And about half the time, uh, no, so about half the time I get to meet the media specialist. And then almost every time if I ever met the media specialist, they would book a, a date for me to come and read to the kids. Mm. And so That's you would, they would say, if they said yes, you get to that point, like, yeah, come and read. You'd set a date, you'd come in and read to the kids. And I'm sure that's a, that's a huge service to them to have someone like you who's super animated and fun and exciting. If you if you can't hear it in his voice, I mean, I don't know how, but Timmy is just a incredible, incredible animator. animator. He has a, a, a channel called Timmy Reads Books, Timmy Reads Books which my two-year-old daughter asks consistently for <laughs> asks for. Like, I want to watch Timmy Reads Books. I want to watch Timmy Reads Books. Where's yes. another one? And so she's always going through it because you're just so exciting and interesting. Mm -hmm. So you That's hop awesome. in front of these kids and then what happened after that? How did you, cause I think you sold all that whole first run of your book, yes. if I understand it. And how did, and how did that piece of it happen? I, I'm not a hundred percent sure when I finished selling the first run of books. I know that took me a really long time. Sure. I outsold my investment in the first year, but okay. I wow. don't know when I finished selling that first batch of 750 books. I want to say it took me over a year, but I, I can't quite remember. Um, sure. But I, I do know that the, the milestone that I hit before the year was up was that I had outsold how much money I spent on the print run, which like I had these milestones of success in my mind. The first one was um, just putting the book into the universe, like having a physical book in the world. Uh, mm -hmm, that yeah. was milestone success number one. After mm -hmm. that, it was, will other kids besides my little brother laugh at the jokes, be entertained mm -hmm. by the book and like it? Um, the next milestone after that was, will anyone besides my brother consider this one of their favorite kids books? And mm -hmm. then the next milestone after that was, can I outsell how much money I put into it? Um, mm -hmm. And then like beyond that, it was like, can I get to a point where I'm making money? Can I get to a point where I'm making enough money that I can quit my day job and, mm -hmm. and so on? So really cool. yeah, so I had written out these goals and they were in order of like, you know, which am I going to hit first and second and third, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so, so first, first school visit, kids are laughing at the jokes. They're loving the book and, um, kids are like, you know, it wasn't long after that, that some, some child had said that it was their favorite book. Like some parent told me that it was their kid's favorite book. So that wow. was yeah. huge. Like sure. there's yeah. such a huge feeling to hear as a kid's book author that your book is someone's favorite book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, so that was really cool. Um, but how to how to actually like make money? That was really hard. So um, the problem is, so I'm getting in front of the audience, uh, but that audience is the audience who's supposed to love the book. That's not the audience that's bringing the money to buy the book. 
So how do I, so it's like, <laughs> how do I get in front of that audience? And the first thing that I figured out was, okay, every school has twice a year, a book fair. Mm -hmm. And at the book fair, all the parents uh, go with the kids and they're, they have buyer intent. They are coming to buy books. Right. So if I can be at the book fair, having already read to the kids, then kids are going to be leading their parents by the hand to come and meet me. Uh, at least that was the thought. And it turned out that yeah. that was true. I, I just, wow. I, then I just started saying to the media specialist, Hey, like, would you have any interest in me coming uh, uh, to your book fair and just like, uh, you know, saying hi to the kids again? And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. We'll set up a table for you. You can come to the book fair. And so that was like, okay, That's awesome. Really cool. I'm coming to the yeah. book fair. I'm bringing a bunch of books. And sure enough, um, the parents will buy a book if they think their kid is going to read it. So if if yeah, their kid that's is so paid, true. <laughs> and, and sure enough, because I was so entertaining to the kids and I made yeah. them laugh, when they'd see me, they'd be like, oh, it's the author. And they had this rapport that they'd built with me. Yeah. So they would grab their parents and come over to my table. And it was easy for me to go from there to a sale because I was just mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, did you do you, how did you like the book? Like, did you love the book? And they're like, oh, my gosh, I love the book. And I'm like, is this your mom or is this your dad? OK, awesome. Um, yeah. Well, hey, you guys, if you if you have any interest in buying one of my books, I'll I'll sign it for your kid right here and now. And I'll even draw a picture in the book for uh, for your daughter. And yeah. like I would almost never not make the sale after saying. Yeah, that. Oh, I'm sure. sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, really cool. Wow. Yeah. So that's how so, so that's and, and, so that's how I would start doing like a few hundred dollars per book fair visit. Mm -hmm. And that was cool. Um, of course, the big problem there is every school has their book fairs around the exact same time of year yeah logistics <laughs> so so that enabled me to outsell the investment just doing that strategy everything i've just described mm. so far is what enabled me to outsell my uh investment but yeah. it wasn't gonna get me to a point where i was making consistent income because there were only two times of the year to mm -hmm. do book fairs and i could only do at maximum like 14 book fairs mm -hmm. in that period of time because they're all doing them in the same two-week window right right yeah so um so the next challenge was like how do i untether uh my ability to sell from this one two-week period of time or these two two-week periods of time that happened in the school year and it, it took me like too long to figure that out like i think it mm -hmm. took me years to figure that out <laughs> but you're where you're at now um if we fast forward just a little bit and i know those were some those first few steps that are figuring things out are like yeah, really hard. tough but where you're at now how many books i mean now you own your own publishing company Dino, dinosaur house publishing and you have a very unique approach where you work with other people uh, oftentimes that yep. have an audience already uh like nurse blake so like let's can we talk a little bit about nurse blake's book and tell me how you did that and got that out into the world and what that was like yeah. Yeah, so um, my my Nurse Blake partnership happened before I started Dinosaur House. So I think it's probably important and relevant to say that like sure. Nurse Blake uh, was not a Dinosaur House uh, right. book necessarily. It was like him and I co-authoring and co-creating mm -hmm. a book together. Um, but it is a big part of what kicked off the starting of my company, Dinosaur House. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's and it's definitely the biggest uh, partnership that I've done. Um, and I, I, I can, I can take as much credit. Uh, like my wife is always telling me, like you need to take more credit for this, because um, I always say, like, oh, I, I, it's not, 
like I, I had nothing to do with how successful the book was, but the reality is like, I was a big part of creating the book. So, uh, yeah, well tell us about the book and then like how that whole, like, just tell us that whole thing. So you work with Nurse okay. Blake so and you I'm guys put on, a book out into the world. Yeah. I'm on tour. Um, I figured out how to do like actual like tours where I'm like constantly visiting schools. That was very hard to figure out, but I'm on tour, um, touring with my, the sequel to Billy the Dragon and, nurse blake who we used to work together at disney um he he had gone and left disney to go become a nurse and then became a nurse influencer and he had yeah. about two hundred thousand followers on instagram mm -hmm. at the time and he hit me up um uh asking if i wanted to do a, a kid's book with him mm -hmm. and i yeah. said no because i had just <laughs> wow. made a resolution because i was getting asked to do um like side commission artwork um right. and i would just do like odd jobs as an artist to to make money and i um i it stressed me out a lot to always be doing these art commissions while i'm trying to produce kids books mm -hmm. so i made a resolution that like it doesn't matter who they are the next person who asked me to to do artwork i'm saying no to and it was no nurse yeah. blake that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> so i said no to him um and then just like told him but like you know here's some good ways to find illustrators and then kept on going with like touring and making kids books yeah. and then a year later uh or maybe longer i can't remember um i was like man why did why did i say no to nurse like at this point now he had five hundred thousand followers wow. on instagram wow and james is like bro you need to get on your phone right now and record a dm video message asking him if he still wants to do a book with you yeah <laughs> so 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 i do that and i'm thinking he's not even going to respond like he's just blown right. up so much right um and uh and he he responded within an hour he was like yes wow. let's do a kids book together wow. well it took us a year maybe longer to get from that point to like finishing a book together mm -hmm. and then right. it took us i want to say probably two years from that from that happening to us actually like the book is out because there was a year of producing the book and then there was a year of uh getting a publishing deal or s something like that and i'm really bad with timelines so i might have the timelines wrong but um but uh by the time the book came out nurse blake has now across all of his social he's got something like three million followers wow wow the book was before it was even out it was a number it was the number one best-selling children's book on amazon wow so wow. of all that's not within a particular category that's in the category of uh, children's overall. books yeah so wow. it was outselling the very hungry caterpillar wow uh, wow Be betty white had just made a kid's book before she died that oh, was number one uh, best-selling kids book until Nurse Blake's got found, got discovered, wow. and then his was outselling hers wow. the year that she died, or or right after she died, or something like that, which That's is kind crazy. of morbid. Yeah. Probably not something <laughs> to brag about. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so this book was doing was like doing really well, um, and it still is. It's it's been it's just sat at number one new release since it came out and i i'm not sure how long it's been out now but um but it's still it's still got the number one new release tag and uh it's still hit it hitting like uh one of the top books in multiple categories That's um, amazing. And, and it's up to almost 100 reviews and people really love it um so yeah so that that book's doing really well
That's amazing. Um, you said something earlier that I wanted to like dive deeper on, and you said that you really love doing creative things. And that has come up a lot um, with everyone we've talked to is like, they're doing what they truly love and they love every aspect of it, you know, even the nitty gritty hard things. Um, so a conversation that has kind of jumped off of that is how do you find what you love doing? You know, especially as a kid, like how do you you know, if you're talking to kids all day, how do you tell them to find and figure out what they really love doing? This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, because I don't think that the only thing that we're supposed to do in life is figure out what we love doing and mm -hmm. then go all in on that. Mm -hmm. And I, as a Christian, I've been thinking about this a lot, just from the perspective of like, God, what do you want me to be going all in yeah. doing? Because it might not be my vision of what I'm supposed to do with my life. I have a mm -hmm. very clear idea of what I think I love to mm -hmm. do and what I think I get fulfillment out of. Mm -hmm. But um, but it may not necessarily be what God's vision for my life is. And mm -hmm. so I think there's multiple things to figure out. It's like, what, what are the things that you'd love to do? What are mm -hmm. other people recognizing about you mm -hmm. that are mm -hmm. like skills and traits and talents and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. But then ultimately you have a creator who designed you so yeah. what is it what is your creator's vision of your life mm -hmm. and i still don't 100 percent know the answer to that question um mm -hmm. i do think that god is in the process of establishing me as someone that and, and that i don't even know how to finish that sentence i feel like god yeah. is in the process of establishing me but i right. literally don't know how to finish that sentence yeah um so 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 i think about that um i think that i'm supposed to influence the way that kids think which mm -hmm. is something that's super um um like passionate about, passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know how much of that is me think me just ascribing a like a calling to my life or sure. did I hear that calling from God or is that just like I got so fulfill so much fulfillment out of doing it with my little brother that mm -hmm. if I want to find an altruistic thing that's the first thing I'm going to think of because mm -hmm. that's what happened between me and my little brother mm -hmm. um so i'm not even 100 sure how to answer that question but i'm getting really yeah. far away from your question which was like no, how no, do you find fine. things that you love to do yeah um uh the thing that i tell kids so with lucas the dinosaur that's one of the things that he tries to figure out in right. the book lucas the dinosaur right. entrepreneur um and he makes two lists so he's trying, trying to figure out like how can he make money, money without right. necessarily going and getting a job Right. And he makes two lists. The first list is everything he already has to do every day. Or you mm -hmm. can think about it like, what are the things that you're good at? Because you, right. you know how to do them. You do them all the time. And then he makes a list of the things that he loves to do. Mm -hmm. And then he just starts thinking and strategizing of how could he monetize something from one of these lists. And obviously yeah. the preferred would be from the love list. So he just sits down one day and writes out the things that he loves to do. And I would encourage mm -hmm. kids to do that. Just sit down and yeah. write out the things that you love to do. The stuff that's going to jump out at you first is the stuff that is like sucking, sucking you away because like video games, basically, like, mm -hmm. like almost everyone is going to answer video games first. It, it's not that there's something wrong with loving video games, but the fact that like I've asked a lot of kids what they love to do. And these, I, if I hear anything at all, those are the answers that I usually hear. So it's mm. kind of sad to me that a lot of kids haven't been exposed to a lot of different things to figure out what they love to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all I was going to say is you've got to think more deeply than that um, and probably expose yourself to more mm -hmm. things than just video games, YouTube, and TikTok to figure mm -hmm. out what you truly love. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I love to, uh, to, to go free diving, but I never would have known that if, if I'd never gone to the Springs, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, you, it's, it's, you gotta, like kids have to get exposed to a lot of different things to figure out what they love. Um, yeah. but yeah, making lists of things that you love to do, um, and then figuring out from, and then the purpose of Lucas the Dinosaur Entrepreneur is to figure out from there, like, how can you monetize something that's on yeah. that list? Yeah. And would you say the same thing for adults? I mean, I assume it's the same yeah, that's, sort of process. It's interesting you say a lot of kids don't know what they love to do because we've started to realize that a lot of adults don't know what they love to do. They just, you know, they picked one of the options that they had and then that's what they do. And they don't, a lot of people just don't love what they're doing, but I don't think they really know what they do love doing. So it's an interesting question. Yeah. And I don't a hundred percent know the answer to that question because mm-hmm. I've known that I wanted to have a career as a story mm-hmm. artist. That's what I call it now. Cause I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to call it. I knew that it had to do with art and storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I just started calling it story artist. And I think mm-hmm. I got the term story artist from a illustration teacher, uh, like at a college or something, mm-hmm. but I've always known since I was a kid that I wanted to grow up and be a story artist. I just didn't know mm-hmm. what form, like what job form that would take. So yeah. I'm not a good candidate. For, like I'm not a good person to answer the question of like, how do you figure mm-hmm. it out? Because I have no yeah. idea how I figured that out. I was just, I was in the car one day reading Garfield comics and thinking like, what if I make some comics? And then mm-hmm. I started making comics and trying to make my friends laugh. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I liked your answer too, that you said, um, you know, it doesn't matter as much what you love because there's kind of a combination of things that kind of determine what you should do. Because we talked to somebody yesterday and I said, um, you know, it seemed like she was really living the dream. And she was like, this is not my dream. And that just like took us back. We were like, oh, okay, well, tell me about that. And um, she was like, you know what, this is, um, she's helping underprivileged kids in um, a lot of ways. And uh, she started a charter school that is like out testing um, a lot of schools in the nation. Um, and anyway, she was like, you know, I felt it was my duty to help these people. And once I like realized that, then I had dreams that involved helping them. But like that was never my original goal or dream or what I was working towards. So it's an interesting question to think about, like, you know, what do you do with your life? Is it what you love? Is it what has purpose? You know, just things like that. But yeah, we, we found like we, we, I think we sort of think most, if you ask like, Oh, if you ask everyone what their dream is, everyone's going to have a ready answer. I want to be a photographer. I want to be a a children's book illustrator. I want to be a dancer. I want to be a YouTube influencer. But what we found is, is asking people who are living their dreams, Mm -hmm. they have more complex answers Mm -hmm. than that. Actually, Mm -hmm. they say, you know, maybe like like Nancy Grayson yesterday, this isn't my dream. I'm mm-hmm. not doing what I wanted to do. And we're like, well, you look like you are. So explain and you look happy about it. Yeah. She's like, I am happy about it. Let me explain to you why. Mm-hmm. And then you said, maybe that's not the most important thing in life sometimes. Yeah. Um, like your dreams are part of it. But then there's also like, what do you what should you do with your life? Mm-hmm. And then what can you do that will make money? And how do you mix all that together? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's been an interesting realization yeah. that it's not just this like super pat. I want to be a children's book author. Yeah, it's easy. You just do it. Yeah. Well, and another, another question that's come up too is like, what, what do you think the difference between like success and having a fairytale ending is like, what, what's the difference there? That's interesting. That's an interesting question. Success and having a fairy tale ending. When you say fairy tale ending, do you mean like happily ever after? Yeah. When I think, when I think of fairy tale ending, well, for one, the, the idea of ending, it's like, okay, that's the end. I don't think about the end very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so the end is end of my life. I have thought about it some, like, what do I want? What do I want my 
life end to be like mm-hmm. or to have accomplished before my life is over. Um, and I ask this question on my podcast all the time. And I, I, I've you always <laughs> struggled to come up with the answer uh, to that yeah. question of like, you know, what, what's ultimate, what, what's, what are you ultimately trying to accomplish with your life? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that I feel like I need to continue to dig into and ask mm-hmm. God, what is like, what is, what, what is that for me? Mm-hmm. What I think it is right now is having influenced the way that a lot of kids think mm-hmm. and having helped parents connect more deeply with their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's cool is like a kid's book is a vehicle for doing both of those things. A kid's book can influence the way the kids think, but yeah. so could any media is what tends to influence the way that we think. Right. So making media uh, that's not just entertaining, but will influence how you think. Um, yeah. Also media personalities, like personality, mm-hmm. the personalities behind the media influence the way the kids think. So e- even if all I do is just become popular among kids because they like the, the stuff that I'm creating, mm-hmm. however, I'm speaking to them, or just the way that I'm living life will influence the way that they think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so, so this is an argument for like why, you know, why it's, it can be altruistic to think like, I want to become mm-hmm. popular and have influence and yeah. all these kinds of things. There's altruistic mm-hmm. reasons to do something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, so I guess success right now, <laughs> success would look like, um, like right now we, we, we're blessed in that every month, We've managed to get to the end of the month mm-hmm. with next month's payroll uh, yeah. in the bank. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the life of a small business. <laughs> yeah. Others. Yes. Um, so, I mean, continued success would look like uh, that being less um, unsure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, f- figuring out uh, what is it that my business is trying to do? Like, we're a kids' mm-hmm. book production company. What is mm-hmm. it ultimately that? the kids book production company is for mm-hmm. um this has been a question that i've oscillated around a lot um and uh i think it's i think it's influence i think it's to mm-hmm. to create media that's really that's really popular and influential um mm-hmm. and positively in- influential which it will be mm-hmm. because i'm not going to create something that i isn't going to be yeah. positively influential at least not on purpose yeah um i was at i was at lunch with james uh, and we were talking about this question and I was like, I'm struggling to figure out what is the 10 year vision of dinosaur house? Like what is dinosaur mm-hmm. house trying to be? And I, I don't know that I want to think that like, we're going to become this multi-million dollar company because of a, a production service that we offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't think that gaining small royalties off of each of the people that we work with is going to make us a really successful business either. Yeah. Um, maybe it's IP, maybe it's like the IP that we create, the media that we create, that becoming really successful, um, that is the thing that's going to uh, be the success of this company. And mm-hmm. while I was having this conversation with him, this family that was sitting next to us just starts talking to us. And they're like, what do you do? What do you do? And we talk about what we do, what we do. And they have two little girls, like a, like a six-year-old and an eight-year-old or some, something around those ages. And when they heard that I was a kids book author, they wanted to see my kids books. I didn't have any on hand. So I pulled mm-hmm. up my YouTube channel, uh, which uh, is gone back and forth between being called Timmy Reads Books and author Timmy. It's now yeah. called Timmy Reads Books because yeah. I do just <laughs> more than just my own books. But mm-hmm. um, 
I, I show the, the family, uh, the YouTube channel and the girl's like, I want to watch. And the mom's like, okay, go ahead. So she takes my phone. She starts watching the first video and these two little girls just get glued to the screen. Their eyeballs are glued to the screen and they can't look away. The parents are even trying to talk to them and they won't look away from the screen. Um, and it's just me performing one of my books. And mm -hmm. then as soon as it's done, they're like, we want to watch another one. And they just watched, like, they just binge all seven of the videos yeah. that I had posted at the time. Yeah. Totally glued to it. And I just turned to James. I was like, this is what I want. Like, this is mm -hmm. what success looks like for me. This is, mm -hmm. the, I would just want more wow. of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so that yeah. was really awesome. That, that was, yeah. that helped clarify for me what, what, how I think about success, at least right now. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and let me ask you one last question. Um, so you were a performer at Disney before you were a kid's book author and you had a really successful career there too. So what was going through your mind when you're like, all right, I'm going to leave this successful thing and strike out on this, you know, unknown. How do you do that? I think that's really hard for people when they're kind of at the top of their, of their field of what they're doing to like, let that go, you know, and try something different. So how did you do that? Part of me thinks that that's DNA uh, mm -hmm. because um, I'm just, I, I often ask the question the other way around. Like I'm baffled by people that won't leap. I'm like, why yeah. don't you leap? Like I was just, I just celebrated a, a birthday party in a casino and you know, oh, fun. Let's go to the casino. Let's celebrate. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, these, these, are, these, these, the people that I was celebrating with, they look at me, they have looked, I don't think they look at me this way now, but they have looked at me a little bit like I'm crazy for the leaps that I've taken in life. Yeah. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, we're in a casino. Like, there's no leap that I've taken that's more risky than hanging yeah. out in a casino. Like, I, I don't understand the way you think. Like, yeah. you want a you you safe life and then like just sparks of, of unsafety? Mm -hmm. I would rather have the opposite of that. I would rather just live a not safe life that has these like mm -hmm. big payoffs. Mm -hmm. So I just, I don't understand the, the other way to think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, and I think that that them being at the casino speaks to a truth that I think we've, <clears throat> we've kind of uncovered. And this is one reason we all like movies that where they do something adventurous and crazy. We all like these, we like to watch Top Gun. We like to watch all this stuff. Because I think we're wired for adventure. Yeah. So if you if you're not going to find it in your day to day, you, you're almost like you can't help yourself. You, it's like you oh, have to find it somehow, whether so, that's going to a casino or, you know, riding 90 miles an hour on your motorcycle. Like we're built for it somehow. You know. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you're not going to take the leap and say mm -hmm. I, I want to be a children's book author, I've got to figure out a mm -hmm. way to backdoor and make this happen. Then you're going to stay at your job, but then you're going to find yourself at a casino making some risky moves because mm -hmm. that's just. We, we're kind of wired for it to an extent. I think we want adventure. Yeah. We want a little taste of the unknown, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's just, it's part of who we are. And um, if we don't find a constructive outlet for it, we, I don't know, we'll end up at a blackjack table, I guess. Not that that's like <laughs> terrible. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> oh yeah. No. Uh, or, 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 or maybe just um, bored, dissatisfied with life. Not to say that I yeah. don't get bored or feel dissatisfied with life. Cause I, I do feel those, mm -hmm. uh, those moments. And I'm also not trying to poo poo on normal right. life or the traditional right. path. I just don't understand it. I, I would not want that. And I don't understand mm -hmm. the mind that wants that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And if it exists in five years, you know, I just feel like the way, I mean, in Western culture, I'm just speaking of that, just Interestingly, the way everyone does their work now, it's like there's a lot of gig economy. There's a lot of stay at home and have mm -hmm. two jobs. Like 
the traditional life, it, it really was only a hundred year period where that was a thing. It was like when factories came around, people started going and working set, set hours and coming home. And for human history, that has been a very slim piece mm -hmm. of human history. And will yeah. it be here in 10 years? It already looks like it lasted from about 1900 to about 2019. And that might frankly be the end of it anyways. Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah. traditional, I'm not even sure was really, really ever yeah. a thing. We just made ourselves but, think it was. Before that, it was like feudalism and subsistence yeah. living. And yeah, then yeah. it was like, hunter gatherer societies before that there was no yeah. going to work at nine and come back at five like that had that never existed really until the unions even told the factories to do that i mean that was really it's very recent we think mm -hmm. of that as like the safe the life that's the norm but it's actually completely abnormal to the mm -hmm. way humans have been wired mm -hmm. so um <clears throat> i think about that too like i i often wonder is an eight hour workday the right number um mm -hmm. I, and it totally i think depends on the type of work that you're doing but um but i don't I, I don't like it and maybe this is because I have ADHD and it's just really hard for me to sit still and do something. Mm -hmm. But I um I, I can't imagine a life where I sit at a desk for eight hours uh mm. and, and, and work or, or, or real work or what whatever mm -hmm. work is like like I think that that probably comes from factory life and it like got ported over to office work and and then now it's being still held up as the standard even in like work from home situations, but I, we're, we're, we're mammals. If you look at mammals in the wild, they don't ever sit anywhere and work for eight hours. They right. hang yeah. out for most of the day. And then yeah. like they're, they'll, they'll do like fits and spurts of, of work. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I wonder if our lives are supposed to look more like that. Hmm. Um, That's really interesting. That's a, it's a great question. Yeah. To me, thank you so much if people want to find your books um and your books your collaborations where can people find you at and find some of your work at? uh so authortimmy.com to find my work um or you could just you could just type in timmy bauer into either google or amazon and then dinosaur house is my company if anyone has any interest in becoming a kid's book author uh dinosaurhouse.com we're a kid's book production company that's what we do that's awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Timmy, Thank for coming you. on today, man. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to How to Fairy Tale. You can find all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to stay up with our show, suggest a guest, or ask us a question, we'd love to hear from you at our Instagram handle, How to Fairy Tale. 